Now for By Grace Alone, a ministry of the Antioch Presbyterian Church in Goldsboro. Pastor Kelly Buffalo. Good evening and welcome to By Grace Alone. I'm Pastor Kelly Buffalo from Antioch Presbyterian Church and we are with the Presbyterian Church in America. We are located at 2306 Old Smithfield Road and we'd love to have y'all come out and visit with us sometime. Our Sunday morning services start at 10:50 a.m. on Sunday morning. It's 10 till 11, and we do have uh, Easter services coming up uh, on April 8th as well. And we'd love to have y'all come out for that with the uh, sunrise service at 6:30 a.m. So if you can come and join us. Now this evening we're doing things a little bit differently here. Uh, this is going to be more of a uh, lesson format uh, as compared to what we are normally do as well in the broadcast. But we are looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And the title of this particular lesson is Christ in His Humiliation, or rather the humiliation of Christ, if you will. So let's go before the Lord in prayer together. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this evening. I thank you for all those who are here this evening watching. Father, we just pray that you bless uh, this study, bless your word to each heart, Father. We, may we each have a greater understanding and illumination by your Holy Spirit. Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I do have a couple different Bibles up here with me uh, for the purposes of comparison, and we'll see that a little bit later. First of all, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. This is the Word of God. It said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being founded in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly uh, exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Glorious, beautiful words indeed. But we are looking at the humiliation of our Lord and Savior, especially as we approach uh, this coming Easter Sunday. Uh, we recognize the death and crucifixion and burial, but resurrection of Christ, especially on Easter Sunday when he rose again from the dead, walking out of the tomb itself. Now, when we think about the humiliation of Christ, first thing that comes up is the word itself. We're talking about humiliation. Um, normally, when we think of humiliation, what do we think of? When I say that um, I was humiliated by that, well, basically, the idea that we would have right off is I was embarrassed by that. But the word humiliation actually has the idea that I was humbled by something, okay? I was humbled, not necessarily embarrassed, but, but I was lowered in some manner, lowered in my own eyes and or lowered in the eyes of those who see me or around me. So they are being humbled in that aspect. I have been humbled in that way. And so for Christ and his humiliation, we see his being humbled. 
okay, in a very, very literal manner here. For Christ, when we hear of his humiliation, what does that mean to us? Now, biblically, his humiliation immediately refers to the incarnation. That is, his enfleshment, his taking on upon himself a real, uh, touchable human body. When Christ was made man, when he became a human being like unto one of us. Now, his humiliation also includes his suffering and his death and his burial. Okay, so all, each of these are included in his being humbled, his humiliation as the Son of God. Now, likewise, our Lord Jesus Christ, he did not remain in the tomb. Amen. Praise God for that. He rose again as our Redeemer and Savior, as our King of Kings. But Christ did not remain in the tomb, but he rose again from the dead. Now, while Christ was humiliated in being made a man, suffering and dying and being buried, he was exalted in his resurrection, in his ascension, and in his sitting at the right hand of God the Father on high. But what else as part of his exaltation will be his return as the King of kings, Lord of lords, as the judge of all the earth? <clears throat> so with that, let's think about a moment about his humiliation with his incarnation, putting on human flesh. Okay, becoming man. When God, when the Son of God, the God of all of the universe, took a human body, he took a human nature upon him, okay, both body and soul, a physical, real body that could be touched, as well as a human soul. And so the God of all the universe, the Son of God, the eternal begotten one, took upon himself a human body and a human soul to be like us. One, he must be fully God if he is going to be our Redeemer, if he will be our Messiah, if he will be our substitute on the cross, then he must be fully God in order to be sinless, in order to be that perfect sin offering for us. But he must also be fully human in order to be our substitute, okay, to stand in our place, to die upon a cross for our sin, our position and bear the wrath of God as only he can as the eternal Son of God. Okay, both body and soul united to him, and you see it in the person of Christ, fully man and fully God together. Now, Charles Hodge, a great theologian, said this, the incarnation of the Son of God, his stooping to take into uh, personal and perpetual union to himself, a nature infinitely lower than his own, was an act of unspeakable condescension, and certainly it was, and therefore is properly included in the particulars in which he humbled himself as part of his humiliation, becoming man, to become man so he could be our Redeemer. Now, the Old Testament predicted a Messiah at both would be a human Messiah as well as a divine Messiah. And we're familiar with that in Isaiah 7:14, where it says the virgin will conceive. And, and so we are very, very familiar with that particular uh, verse. <clears throat> Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name 
Emmanuel, God with us. So he would be born of a virgin, have a human body, and yet still be God with us. Fully God, fully man, and not some kind of a mongrelization, uh, like a demiurge or something like that. Not a mongrelization, but rather fully God and fully man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so let's not uh, try to blend the two natures together, but he has both a divine and human nature. Now, how this happened in the Godhead has been discussed throughout the history of the church. It's been discussed. It's been debated. Um, it was uh, always, however, is always maintained that there was never any kind of subtraction. There was never any suspension. There was any, any, never any kind of surrender of the form of God. Okay, for the Lord Jesus Christ. There was never any surrender of the form of God when he took the form of a servant, as you see in our text. Okay, he never gave up any of these things. He was made man by doing something very unusual. He was made man by adding manhood to his godhood, taking a human body and reasonable soul united together in the person of Christ with his deity. So he is fully God and fully man. Now this teaching was maintained all the way up until the 19th century, about the latter half of the 19th century, when a new theory became very popular. And if you can see this over here, <clears throat> you see the humiliation of Christ. This particular theory was known as the canonic theory. And I don't think you can see that. But it's called the canonic theory uh, right here. And this was a false theory, okay? For the first uh, 18 centuries of the church, the first 18 centuries of the church, this was not part of the teaching of the Word at all, okay? What happened was there is one particular word in the text of Philippians, okay, where it says, <clears throat> here it says, uh, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, okay? And that is in the King James and in the ESV, it says, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Now, they take the word that was basically the word, the Greek word is kanao. That's a kenosis. That is in the King James where he was made of no reputation, ESV, made of nothing. And literally, the translation of the word itself means emptied. Okay, but there are other ways in the context of how it is to be understood, all right? How it's to be understood as being void, as nothing, okay? Those other aspects of it. But the Son of God emptied himself, if you will, or made himself nothing by adding, by addition, not subtraction, but by adding a human body and soul. This is what was unusual. So the canonic theory has Christ becoming a man, saying that he emptied himself. They say that he emptied himself of his divine attributes. They say that he emptied himself of his divine prerogatives, of his divine functions. And so they would say that he ceased to be what he previously was. They would say that he ceased to possess what he previously possessed. They say that he ceased to exercise what he previously exercised. This is a false theory. Don't embrace it. Don't get sucked in. It was not taught. It was never embraced for the first 18 centuries of the church. 
It sounds too good to be true. It probably is. All right. So this was a new teaching. They zeroed in on that one particular word, and they went off with it, trying to uh, come up with some kind of new theory or new doctrine. All right. And, and so we don't want to embrace that. We believe in the old paths, as J.C. Ryle would say. We, we hold to the old-time religion. We hold to the gospel once delivered to the saints, even as we should. But the canonic theory, they would say that he ceased to be fully God while he was in the flesh, while he had become man. Now, what does the Bible say about that? Well, in Colossians chapter 2, and you can just flip over a couple pages, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says this. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And we want to understand that. We don't want to deny that, all right? We don't want to deny with the Word of God. So Christ, he never ceased to be God. And we must fully understand that. He never ceased to be divine. He never abandoned his divine attributes. And again, Philippians 2, 6 through 8, and I use the ESV this time again as well. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so he humbled himself by becoming man. He humbled himself, he made himself nothing by taking upon himself a true human body and soul, being made man. And it says in, the, in these verses that he was in the form of God. He had the abiding state, or he was in the condition of existing in the form of God, which never ended. He was always in the form of God, and yet now he adds a human body and soul to his condition, all right? yet he is still fully God, fully man. Now, Paul here used a present participle which suggests this, who being in and continuing in the form of God, all right, which would be a good way to understand that as you approach the text. He did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, or you might say robbery in this case, but as one is constant grasping for. Now, this definitely establishes the equality of the Father and Son, because Christ, who continues to be in the form of God, did not consider being on an equality of with God robbery or as a prize needing grasping, but made himself of no reputation. And so Christ was secure being in the form of God to become man. He was secure in himself as in the form of God to become man. And so as he emptied himself, if you will, or made himself nothing, nothing empty again being this word kanao, making himself nothing is to empty himself here, if you will. But the question might be, what did he empty himself of? If you want to take a literal translation of that word, what did he empty himself of? We need to understand that. Well, first, the New Testament usage shows the literal interpretation here, the word 
kanao, to be emptied, is not necessarily the best one in this case. And that's why you see the King James, the English Standard Version, uh, they're correct in saying and, and translating it, made himself of no reputation or made himself nothing. Like I said, you could translate that word as, as void, uh, as empty, if you will, made himself uh, void or nothing, very, very clearly. But in Romans chapter 4, verse 14, we have another usage. For if they that are of the law are heirs, faith is made void. And that's the word kanao again, is made void, and the promise is made of none effect. All right, the promise is made of none effect. But it said made void or made nothing, made uh, empty, if you will, in that manner. So we see that it's used in the same kind of way. He made himself nothing, or made himself void in this case, if you will. Similarly, it's used in 1 Corinthians 1.17, 1 Corinthians 9.15, and 2 Corinthians 9.3. And so Christ made himself nothing, which eliminates the idea, really, of emptying himself, especially of the idea of emptying himself of his deity or of his divine prerogative as being God. Now, we have to be very, very careful how we understand and approach because we don't want to violate either one. He was fully God and fully man, and we don't want to conflict and contradict or mix these two, okay? We don't want to deny one or the other. Now, as Christ, he never gave up as God, he never gave up his divine attributes. Never gave up his divine attributes. He never ceased to be fully God. He was still omnipotent. He was still omniscient, still omnipresent. He had all of those, and uh, he never, ever sets those aside. Rather, if you will, he emptied himself or made himself nothing by this addition. Again, as I mentioned already, this addition of adding to himself a reasonable physical body and soul. Now, what is it that the Son of God added uh, to his, well, what did the Son of God add to his divine existence? He added a human nature, a real body and soul. Fully God, fully man, for the rest of all eternity. Okay, he's still the same, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still has a human body, glorified, but yet he has a real human body like you and me. And meaning as well that his body, like I do and you, his body has locality, all right? His body has locality. His body, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his flesh, is seated in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. But in his deity, he is still omnipresent everywhere, even dwelling in the believer by the Spirit. And so whereas locality, I cannot be here and in California at the same time. And in locality, Christ's body is seated in heaven, and yet his body is not there and here. His body is seated in heaven, but by his deity, because he is God, he is still everywhere. He is still omnipresent. He is still omnipotent. He is still omniscient, all-knowing. And so we don't want to confuse his deity and his humanity, nor do you want to do as some might do about um, when it comes to the cross, when the Lord Jesus Christ, and he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now remember, now on the cross, when he says that, there are some people who will try to tell you that for a moment in time, 
uh, where it says he was forsaken by God the Father, they, they would say that for a moment in time there was a rip in the Godhead. Well, that's terrible doctrine. That's terrible because you are suddenly making changeable the unchangeable God. You are violating the immutability of God. And so you, he was not separate from the Father on the cross. Now, and so recognize that even on the cross in his humanity is still fully God. And so in his deity, he is one with the Father and the Spirit. Always has been, always will be. He is one with, because he is God in flesh as well. And so, but in his humanity, that is where he would somehow experience this separation and abandonment in his humanity, okay? And so we need to separate and don't try to mongrelize the two and don't try to adopt some principle where you're going to violate the very nature of God for God is unchangeable, okay? So we don't want to do that. We don't want to violate his deity nor his humanity. Now, as a servant, as the text tells us, he subjected himself to the Father, to the conditions of humiliation, of poverty, of misery, and of shame, which were essential for him to be our Redeemer. He went through all these, he experienced all these things, subjecting himself to the Father, his Father's perfect will, as a servant, okay? Which were essential, he would be our Messiah. Being in human flesh, his glory was veiled. Did he empty himself of his glory? Did he set aside his glory? No. In fact, on the Mount of Transfiguration, he reveals just a touch of his glory to his disciples that are there. Just a touch. But it's veiled, but his glory is still there. Christ is still glorious. All right, we don't want to deny that. Now, in his humiliation, he became man, he suffered, died, and was buried. In ex exaltation, he was resurrected, he was ascended, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he will return in glory. And we don't want to uh, deny that. He will return as the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords. And we all look forward to his return. In his humiliation, as I mentioned, he lived in poverty and misery and shame. In his exaltation, he is rich and glorious and honored. Now, even in his humanity, while he was here walking upon the earth, he experienced the poverty and misery and all these things of this earth. But in his deity, he is still in the eternal bliss of the Godhead, okay, with the Father and the Spirit. And so we, we realize we have these two natures in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as man, he experiences what we experienced. So while Christ walked the earth, both God, the divine nature, and the human nature, both in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, his humanity suffered and died and was buried. His divinity, his deity, never suffered. His deity is always perfect, always perfectly in bliss, uh, always united to the Father and the Spirit, but his divinity could never die. His deity could never die. When he was on the cross, his deity will not die. He is God. His humanity, his body could die. His divinity would never die, but he is himself the source of life. Could Christ, could the Lord Jesus Christ cease to be God? No, he could never cease being God. That's who he is. From all eternity, the God of all the universe 
all of the universe, the creator of all things in heaven and on earth, became man, became one of us. And now I've heard some, and I've probably used the illustration before, that and you'd see that condescension, that divine condescension. That, and you've heard people say that, well, that would be like us becoming a doodlebug on the ground. Okay? That would be like us becoming one of those. The problem with that illustration is that's still a created thing. We're talking about the God of all the universe from whom you can never escape his presence. The entire universe, the God who is there, taking upon himself, condescending to be take upon himself a human body and soul to be made man, which would actually be for us uh, be a step below a doodlebug. All right? so, so certainly uh, become the almighty God taking upon himself human flesh and a human soul. And it's a beautiful, glorious, glorious thing indeed. Can Christ cease to be God? Never. And that's the problem with the canonic theory Okay, this emptying, I call it the empty theory myself. Uh, there's no grounds for it. He did not empty himself of his deity, of his divinity. Okay, he never does that. His glory may have been veiled by flesh, but he was always glorious indeed. Did Christ cease to be omnipresent? No. As God, he is still everywhere. As man, he has locality. As a human body, as I mentioned, he has locality. He is seated on the throne in heaven. But as God, he is everywhere with us and dwelling within the believer uh, himself. And we rejoice with that. And I do pray that you can join us, and I hope you enjoyed this study. There's far more into the humiliation of our Lord Jesus Christ than we could possibly imagine because you have his, his death as well as the sufferings that occurred and even his burial, the humiliation involved with the, the Son of God and here united human flesh and a reasonable soul and his body being buried and subject to decay but yet the Father would not leave his body to to submit to decay, but he would be raised three days later. And we rejoice together. This coming Easter Sunday, our resurrection day of our Lord Jesus Christ, we celebrate and we thank God for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank God that the Son of God condescended and took upon himself a human nature to be like us, to propitiate, to satisfy the wrath of God that we deserve, to bear the penalty of sin which we deserve, which is not only physical death but eternal death. But by faith in Christ, faith in the one who is fully God and fully man, we have life and forgiveness and satisfaction of wrath, and we have entry into his the joy of eternal heaven. And I pray that that you yourself know the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that if you have not done so, that you will put your faith in him now. Do that tonight. Do that tomorrow. But do so because we know not when the Lord will return, but he will return indeed. The same glorified Lord of lords and King of kings, the same one who is in both fully God and fully man, he will return to judge this earth. But I pray that you will flee from the wrath to come and turn in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you and join us next time at the same time, the same evening, and we look forward to seeing you. The Lord bless. Thank you for joining us today for By Grace Alone. 
a ministry of the Antioch Presbyterian Church, located 2306 Old Smithfield Road in Goldsboro. For additional information, you may call 919-735-3623 or visit us online at www.antiochpca-goldsboro.com. Join us again next week for By Grace Alone with Pastor Kelly Buffalo.